And now, the moment you've all been waiting for. Welcome to Social Media White Noise. Yeah, I'm really sorry about that, Ted, but we've had complaints that the intro's too long. Bugger. <laughs> random, random names of films and soundtracks that they're always podcast. <laughs> yeah, I think it's Digital Minister Hard, Jurassic Park. What? <laughs> Next we start, we're recording. <laughs> okay. Right, um, hello everyone, uh, it's episode, I think it's episode 82 on social media white noise. It I, is as, episode 82, as normal, this is social media white noise. <laughs> I just said that. That was Mick Butler, Aka, loudmouth man. <laughs> and, and he is Andy, aka Dr. Pod, spelled D-O-C-T-O-R-P-O-D, without the Darth Vader effects, thank you very much. I can't resist it. spelled fine. And we are at Fab. Food and baristas. We are. It used to be. Used to, it used to be add the colour, but it, it changed. And it And so far, we have had fantastic coffee. Um, we have had a great slice of pecan something, um, peach and whatever it is, cake slice bar. Uh, and we are listening to soundtracks that cause us to randomly name films. So uh, <laughs> that will be the theme for this show: randomly named films. And I'm just tweaking the levels, folks. Sorry, it was a bit quiet then. We should be okay now. It's better. Get away from. The loud mouth man Is it might clip quiet. when Nick laughs? Right. Um, so, what are we talking about today? Let's have a look. Um, yes, Google charges for Maps API. Ding. Mm. I'm doing the news at 10 dongs again, aren't I? I like, you, I like your digital litter just, thing. You just leave your dong out of it and talk about the next topic. Uh, digital litter, which, which I, is fascinating because it reminds me of space junk, although it's not related to it. Now we've from dongs to junk. Well yes, done. yeah, space junk. Uh, moving off the server, uh, social networks, retroshare. Oh, retroshare! Because we've had a quick go with Richard, although I haven't received your message yet. I've had a play. Did you? Mm. You, you can have to explain it to me because I, I, it's I very unmack-like. Sh- I, don't I think, shall. It reminds me of being back on Windows again. I shall. We will. And we shall. And, and Nick, Nick's 12412.org. 12 for 12. 12 progress. for 12. Oh, we'll, mm. we'll save that to the end. But first of all... But first, but you've first, got Matt's charging. Yeah, what do you think about this? Um, they're going to be charging for over, is it 25... Thousand hits a day, or something like that, or in a twenty-four-hour period, you're going to be charging people, and people already are migrating away from Google Maps, well, including the Apple. Well, are they really? Nick's I mean, skeptical. I mean, I'm, I'm uh, skepticality me, cynical me, um, skeptical in in terms of uh, ask ask better questions, really, and be open for the actual answers. Um, they're welcome to charge whatever they want. After all, it's a service that they provide. They don't have to provide it for free. Agreed. In, fact, in the UK, we have a we have a thing called Royal. We have Ordnance Survey Maps, mm-hmm. um, which are produced by a company that that then manage and maintain the copyright on them, um, and for a long time refused to put their information up in any format uh, that was usable. And that's where a thing came along called Street Map, and then Open Street Maps, um, and a sort of. Uh, a crowd-based attempt to create these these maps using GPS services that were in their infancy at the time, well over 10 years ago. So Google have, of course, invested a lot of money in going out to get information on where streets go, where places are, so they can link up physical addresses, geophysical locations, with actual adverts online. So there's already a benefit to them in doing that, because they're a search company and they're trying to get better information and better data. Mm. It might be argued that they are already collating that information with the purpose of adding value so that anybody else who's contributing uh, data on the back of what Google Maps has is adding value to Google Maps. That might be one way of looking at it. I mean, mm. somebody checking in, 
If we're on Foursquare and we check into here at Fab Food and Barista, there's nothing to stop Google Maps saying, hey, if you're, at, if you're doing information like that, we want to copy back because you're using our maps. Mm. That'll make it free. That'll keep it free. That'll keep the costs free. Alternatively, they might say, yeah, actually, you are hitting our maps so often that you're the biggest user of the service. We would like you to pay for it because clearly you're getting a benefit out of it and so are we. Um, I, I personally think that if we could map the individual, I mean, there's a privacy question here, but let's put the privacy question on side. If you took every single mobile phone and you could use that to say, which street are you on right now? You could just, you immediately begin to just build up a map. Mm. If everybody stopped where, exactly where they were right now with their smartphone and plugged in where they were, how much data could you build up that it was a map of this, this place? Quite a lot, I'd imagine. Yeah. And of course, you, you then have to get into how you're doing terms of that data so that you don't have sort of streets that are actually out of line with where they are. Because mm. people aren't actually in the middle of the road, they're off to the side. Yep. So the roads would be you know, perceived to be very wide. So there's a lot more to this than just they've made a map. But it's interesting that Apple have moved, and I forget which service it is, um, it's, it's iPhoto have moved to OpenStreetMap on the, the, the latest version of iPhoto. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's more a case of licensing than, than costs? Well, it's funny it's happened just as, at the time that uh, Google are now charging. Because I don't think iPhoto would be the largest user of them. Oh, no. I mean, by, by all accounts, Mac users are still less than 10% of all the sort of online content. Mm. A very small percentage of people online. And iPhoto users on top, I mean, I, I can't stand iPhoto. I actually just find it just locks away my photos and I can't get to them. Mm. Um, but the most popular search term at my website is merging iPhoto with Windows 7 so that people can get their iPhoto images out of iPhoto and into Windows 7 gallery. Okay. And that's the most popular search term on my website. But back to the maps. Um, there was the, the conversation on TechCrunch, of course, that it may backfire. Um, certainly there's a lot of options for people with OpenStreetMap. Um, but OpenStreetMap requires, requires an investment from people. Mm. that doesn't necessarily guarantee you'll get the right information all the time. Because well, it is crowdsourced, <coughs> it does require people to, to make an effort. It's moved on, hasn't it, OpenStreetMap? I mean, I haven't looked at it for a while. I mean, the last time I looked at it was probably about a year ago. And it, it looked a bit ropey, <laughs> to be honest with you. I haven't looked at it since, but has it moved on? Mom. Is it getting better? It it's be? been growing in the long term. I remember um, there was StreetMap... There was a street map project in the UK that, for a very short period of time, were um, suffering a, a problem because a, a group called, I think it was Multimap, mm. was another online mapping service. Yeah, I remember Multimap, yeah. Um, who felt that they were infringing on their data in some way. Okay. Because basically, yeah, people were grabbing information and merging those two together in order to make the data better. Mm. Um, and if I'm, I mean, I'm on... I'm on this uh, OpenStreetMap right now. If I go in for a search for Horsham, you know, the first thing that comes back is Horsham, Victoria, Australia. So fourth hit down here is Horsham, West Sussex. It's a pretty comprehensive map. Um, and yes, it is pretty up to date in terms of um, content, but there's a lot of grey areas and not quite checked areas and mm. browned areas in there. A bit um, like a map of the world in like the 1700s. Yeah, there, there needs to be bits. sort of here be Dagons. Yeah, yeah. 
Unfortunately, I can't bring it up fast enough here because the connection is a bit slow. But yeah, you need to switch off all your streaming and everything else first of all. Yeah. Uh, will this will this be Google shooting itself in the foot? I don't believe it's going to cause Google to have a, a problem sleeping. And I think if they want to charge for very high volume users, what they'll experience then is um, services will get smart to this and work out how they can distribute their calls. Mm. And so services will start sharing their services and sharing information and peering it down. Interesting. You know, it, it kind of makes me wonder, think about, there's loads of free services out there that we all take for granted. Mm-hmm. And um, it was really brought home to me actually recently because as a podcast producer, I rely heavily on, I and my clients rely heavily on iTunes. Mm-hmm. To, as, as the biggest podcast directory out there to, to, to get our podcasts out there and it was really brought home to me because um, last weekend or was it the weekend before I just got an email out of the blue on a Friday night from iTunes mm-hmm. saying your podcast has been taken out of the directory no explanation this was our biggest this internet marketing podcast mm-hmm. it was out of the directory no explanation uh, check the feed no problem there's no profanity in there nothing like that and so I, I sent it long story short it was put back on by the Sunday. Mm-hmm. Very sorry, Mr. White, it was taken out in error. But what if, what if I, it hadn't been put back? Mm. And I can't exactly complain. What have I paid for the service? Zilch. Well, we've covered this before. Yeah? What, what happens when you're... Well, the argument goes like this. You're, if you're not paying for it, you're the product. Just right. a fire alarm. And just make a noise for yeah, no worries, yeah, no worries. And as a result... If you're the product, then you have fewer rights than somebody who might be paying for something. Mm. Oh, actually, I tell you what, I'm, I'm a customer, I pay for things, and I don't necessarily... There we go. Fire alarm's working. It's a pretty waveform, that. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> go back and look at that on Audacity. <laughs> Yeah, so if you're not paying, you're the product. If you're not paying, you're the product. Yeah. Now, I've paid for plenty of things and actually still not had great service or great after-sales service. Mm. So, to a certain extent, being, being not the product and being able to just, just pay for it isn't necessarily always the benefit. With a service like iTunes, it's like PayPal, so, so many other services, the problem isn't the you're paying for it, you're not paying for it, it's actually customer services. It's the ability to talk to somebody when you have a problem. Yeah. Because they can keep their costs right down by making sure they don't have too many frontline people dealing with problems. Mm. The backshot of that is, the upkeep of that rather, is that there's nobody to talk to when you do have a problem. Mm. And you can't report a problem in and say, this might be an issue for me. Well, I was very lucky. I just responded to the email mm. that came in. And about... 24 hours later I got a response but Apple I will say this Apple's <coughs> online response to questions by our email Sharon had her account uh, she had credit stolen from her account mm. from some in, uh, in-app payment system yep so it wasn't her but since she had an application installed they'd taken her details and used them elsewhere um, and she was able to go back and forth to them and say look I haven't lost my password and haven't done any of this somebody else is using my account and taking the information out but of course Apple aren't Apple aren't going to turn around and say oh yes that can occur mm. they're just going to say well that might be you need to be a bit more careful <laughs> so I think I think what it comes down to is we don't necessarily have the 
um, the best quality of of customer services in these free services. Mm. And even when you have paid for services, do you necessarily get the best quality of customer service? I think it, it, it all comes down to experience. I, I mean, to a certain extent, this is what social media has always trying to be been about, in, in creating a way for you to find out people are upset mm. and respond to that in a way that's different to the traditional come and tell us you've got a problem, here's our complaint and customer services line. There are different aspects, but I don't think this is going to cause Google to lose any sleep or lose any customers. Um, and in, in many ways, actually, it's a benefit to our smaller, smaller users who will have a chance to grow our business up, mm. knowing that there's actually a, a point at which, instead of it being pulled out from under our feet, mm. we'll just be asked to start paying for it. Yeah. So you can plan. Yeah. And to be honest, Foursquare don't exactly have a bad business model in place mm. for generating revenue, and they are technically generating new content for Google. Good stuff. So there we go. So, um, should we talk about our sponsor before we talk about digital litter? Oh, yes, let's. King of We're shades. drinking this fantastic cup of coffee here at Fab Food and Barista. Oh, we're going to talk about the coffee shop first. Yeah, what do you think of the coffee? Coffee's great. It is served, of course, in one of these normally wide mouth cups that, mm. that have me sort of thinking I'm going to spill it, as I already have. Um, this is why you keep hearing this strange noise as Nick wipes his mouth. And I wipe my mouth and my, my heavy beard. Um, thank you to King of Shows. I was. I was, I was experiencing my King of Shaves shaves this morning mm. um, and I, you know, I, I've always said that we're not going to have products on this show that I don't genuinely believe in or that I feel are not offering good value to our listeners. Mm. And King of Shaves product line, both the oils, the gels and the blades and the razors, um, I'm, not, I'm not going to go back to the old, you know, I'm not mm. going to go back to the best that a man could probably get because it turns out I'm getting better. <laughs> I'm using the cool menthol gel. What do you think? It's good. It's impressive. Isn't it's it? good stuff. Very good it's, stuff. And it's and, and it's, it saves me from getting a, a bollocking from my wife for using her conditioner. Her conditioner as a lubricant. So thank you. <laughs> this is for shaving, folks. This is for. <laughs> I stopped listening for five seconds, and all of a sudden you're into that. <laughs> we've had your junk, we've had your dong, and now you've got your lubricant. This is a whole other show. <laughs> now this one will have a profanity. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. King of Shaves, thank you very much for sponsoring the show. Um, I'm aware that there are a number of people who have listened to the show have gone, ah, and have begun to see King of Shaves yeah. in the product line, in Tesco's, in Supra. Have you used the oil yet? Because I've only ever used the gels. I've, I've, I've used the oil. I actually first like? started using the oil. Um, Do you prefer it? It's, I, what I find is that the oil is... If, the thing about the oil is, because you're so used to having something that needs to foam up, yeah. you're expecting some sort of reaction. But the gel doesn't foam up, it just like forms a layer, doesn't it? The gel does does form up if you use a badger brush. Oh, you I get see, a I nice don't. badger brush. You see, get a badger I, I shave in the shower, brush. you see, Nick. It was, I shave in the shower as well, because uh, that way it saves a bit of water at the same time. Yeah. Um, because the problem you then have is trying to get the mirror in and getting it anyway. Oh, I'm going to do it without the mirror now, Nick. Uh, I'd have well, the contours yeah, of my face, yeah, like the then, back of my face. You're, you're not bothering with the goatee, so you're okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're around the precision. goatee. I don't want to end up with that little sort of you know, half cut, whatever else going on. <laughs> so, um, yeah, if you use a badger brush bristle, which isn't easy to say. Yeah. You can get it really up into a really good foam. But of course, what the airs also do is it stimulates your follicles and it gets the hair right up. <laughs> so then when you bring the airs all down across your face. Yes. It's brilliant. I find a real battery is better, though. I do, but they do tend to scrape and bite a bit. Yeah. And they don't like their wet. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. Moving on, yeah. <laughs> Digital litter. Moving on. We thank, thank you, King of Shaves. We thank you, King of Shaves. We salute you. Mm. Thank you so much. More coffee. Now, I was up in London yesterday uh, on a Sunday doing some work for a client. 
um, which meant I had to do the usual trek across through the undergrounds. And something I was aware of was the amount of litter left at the side of the railroad tracks. Yeah. And the litter that you see in the underground on a Sunday morning. And you know, my, my attention sort of drifted upwards towards the adverts that are on the underground. And pretty much every advert on the underground now, it now includes a URL with a sort of a, a link to a, you know, this is where the campaign's running from. A shortened link. or just So a, a shortened link yeah. or a long link or yeah. the keywords in Facebook mm. and so forth because mm. it's so competitive in AOL. And this made me think, well, those campaigns are only ever running for a short period of time. Mm. And it's not like they're necessarily recycling them. Now, there isn't technically any litter or waste being produced. But are we running the risk of creating digital litter in our Google searches? Uh, uh, sort of um, stuff that gets created and is just left behind. So you start searching for things and these campaigns start popping up. Yeah. And these campaigns are out of date now. They're no use, but they're still being found. Or, you know, similarly, they decide to recycle the campaign phrase, but they've put another product up in there. So you aren't necessarily coming back to the same thing. Mm. Are, we, are we littering our internet searches or are we creating the potential to create a large amount of digital litter that right about now we don't think about but maybe the next generation who come on board, who are using the internet, are struggling to find their own space because we've used up so many words and we've used up so many Are you saying that phrases. we shouldn't be using up the internet resources for, the future, for our future generations? I don't think it can be wasted. There isn't a thing there to be, to be mm. lost. Um, but I do wonder if we shouldn't have some, some responsibility to create the content. I mean, you can have an expiration date inside your URLs. Can you? So they can I expire didn't by. That. Right. And you can then have look in the header you've got expiry date. Okay. So you could say this is actually a page that will expire on this date. Oh so yes, it's in the header of the of the response, isn't it, that comes back, yeah. So from the page. Should we be outside of doing all the search engine optimization and all the social media optimization for a website, should we do some digital archive optimization whereby we work out what we will do with the product if, if you're making a website URL, the concept was always that it would always be there mm. forever and onwards. The idea was that link will always point to that data. It's kind of the Tim Berners-Lee concept. Yeah. So it's always going to be there. Mm. And then we got into using things like shortened URLs, and everybody was using shortened URLs mm. that were rewrites to other URLs. Now, a shortened URL, of course, provides it the benefit that it could rewrite to a different URL at a different date. Yeah. Now that's actually useful if you want to run a campaign because now you can you can have one URL that you can constantly reuse for different campaigns mm-hmm. at different times of the year. So to a certain extent, it's sort of renew, recycle, reuse. Mm-hmm. In fact, reduce because it's a shortened URL. But what about those campaigns that are set up maybe inside Facebook where there's specific groups and pages with okay. content? Because deleting a Facebook page is not necessarily a straightforward thing within Facebook if you then want to go back and recreate a new page with that same name and it's been deleted or marked has already been created for somebody else. Mm, mm. So are we creating a legacy of data? So, so you're worrying about namespace de- depletion. But, and there's the flip side of this, which is the... Um, I mean, we're, we're sat in a cafe that has got, as its wallpaper, a large collection of adverts from sort of 1940s and 1950s newspapers. Mm. Now, those are printed items, so necessarily there's a capture of that moment right there. What about the adverts and campaigns that we run today that might be uh, culturally significant, 
that should be curated or recognised or stored away in some format so they can be recovered or looked back at. You know, we, we can look at... So now we're getting into archiving. And now it's an archiving question. Yeah, so yeah. I'm looking at digital litter yeah. and I'm trying to work out where the links are that are valuable or that we'd want to curate and keep and where the links are that are the least interesting and okay, we can lose. Let's get the domain name uh, linkwomble.net. Linkwomble. And people can put URLs in and uh, is, can try is, work out if they're going to expire. Is an acronym that really only works for UK listeners? Probably. But we I, only I have think Wombles are worldwide famous, to be honest. Wimbledon is. So, is it at Wombledon Common? Strawberrylink.com. So, the question goes out for the, for the listeners. Are you aware of digital litter? Or are we creating digital litter? Mm. Outside of, like, cookie crumbs and cookie crumbs that sit inside your browser. Mm. And what about the stuff on your own computer? I mean, how much... We know the stuff that we throw in the trash can, but how much digital litter do we create? What about photos that we've taken? Mm. Because we can take so many more photos, we keep them, and they're, they're not actually just... the ones we should just get rid of. Yeah. You know, we would, we would be more aware of what we were creating, and we would be more uh, decisive about the shots we were taking, and we would, we would sort of conserve the resources. Now with the digital camera, you just snap away, and eventually somewhere in there is what you're looking for. And you still keep uh, all these other copies because the you're thinking... They're one of the ultimate content creators, aren't they? So, you have <laughs> this. What is its value? What litter are we leaving behind? And, and what do we leave behind for our children and our grandchildren and our, you know, our descendants? Our descendants won't have the physical thing that we pass through a family mm. they'll have a digital copy that may be copied and copied and copied mm. unless there's DRM attached in which case they'll never get to it mm. <coughs> if you buy a group if you have a collection of books they might go off to a book sale if you have a collection on your Kindle and the account deactivates the books are gone this all ties we, we talked about this before this all ties in to archiving to what do you do with resources linked to people who have passed on all this kind of malarkey and, and no one has far as I know has really addressed it there's, there's the sort of it is addressed when, when we look into it there's people saying oh it's addressed and it's almost as if it's like don't, don't look at the elephant don't talk about the elephant don't, don't, don't look behind the curtain mm. it's addressed it's fine it's okay go away don't talk about this topic it's weird because when you get into it there's people sort of push back and say no no it's dealt with and you think really because it doesn't feel like it is and you know when I'm gone I'm not going to care about whether or not it's dealt with so feedback, listeners, both of you, feedback and tell us what you think because this is this is an interesting topic. It, well, we feel it's an interesting. Oh, topic I think it is a very interesting. Into topic. Our links. I think it's a very interesting. Topic. So, can we talk about um, RetroShare? Well, have we got some more to say on this? Well, there's a good segue into things like RetroShare, mm. which follow on from what I said. Because Nick invited me this week this to RetroShare. Now, we we know services like Twitter will eventually bring in inline advertising, mm. you know, and Google Plus already has hot pages. This is a hot page and we think you should know about it. It's like, it's the most banal piece of rubbish ever. Get rid of it. I don't need it in my links. Mm. Um, then you've got services like Facebook. Um, oh, look, now we're listening to Mike Oldfield and, and this is from <laughs> Incantations. Um, hey, Nick, careful, this sounds like a radio show. <laughs> um, yeah, we're not allowed to do that. <laughs> Copyright. Quick, quick smother the music. So, oh. here, so here we are talking about things. So we've got these services. Now, they all rely upon... Um, some sort of client that connects to a server. Yeah. And there is this sort of problem of, well, what happens when they decide to change their policies? Mm -hmm. Everything that you do goes away or changes or you have to fall in line. So there are services like Join Diaspora, 
which are set up. Now, Join Diaspora is an open source sort of social networking tool. Um, and now this isn't from Incantations, I got it wrong, sorry. This is Mark Oldfield, though. Anyway. Um, Shibla Bells, too. Yes. I think. We're not a radio show. We didn't, I don't we do didn't music, say that. Sorry. I didn't say that. <laughs> so you've got things like Join Diaspora, where you could take the code, put it on your own server. Yeah. And then you could. And I haven't quite worked out how Diaspora is working out yet, but basically, if somebody's on another Diaspora server, yeah. and they're friends with you through you making friends with them mm. by knowing their details, it's sort of a peer to peer arrangement between all the servers. Peer to peer. Here's the thing it's still reliant on other people's <coughs> services. Right. For your content. <coughs> and when I looked at this, I thought, well, this is still the problem that. What they're actually creating is a server environment that has to run on a server. What you really want is you want Diaspora for yourself. Yeah. And then you send out invites only to people that you're friends with. Mm. And you can see who their friends are after you've got the invite through. Yes. RetroShare is an application that runs on Windows, Mac and Linux. And it provides uh, a chat client. It yep. provides an email client. Mm-hmm. It provides a way to a way, a way in which you can share files. Yes. And it provides a way for you to create forums and threaded conversations. But it's peer-to-peer. But it's a peer-to-peer environment. So how it works is, is when I set up my um, my connection to uh, RetroShare, mm. it'll. It'll sort of cast out and look for other peers mm. through the key exchange servers. Mm-hmm. So there are key servers on the web that have registered keys. Okay. And it's ba- it is essentially saying, um, you know, I know you're over on that IP address, and I know you're on that IP address, and it knows about other retro share services, mm. but it doesn't know about who's on them because you're not friends with them yet. Yeah. So it's like walking into a busy room, and you haven't made friends with anybody at all. Mm-hmm. Now, if I want to then sort of connect to you via RetroShare, mm. I create a certificate that I send to you. Yes. You import it and send me back your certificate. Which is what we have done. Yes. Yep. Although I haven't got your certificate in the email, but we'll get back to that. Yeah. So I then import your certificate, and now what happens is RetroShare is able to create a secure communication between you and I mm-hmm. that's only between you and I mm-hmm. for that connection. Right. However, you have some friends who, if they say in their retro share settings say allow myself to be public to my friends friends mm-hmm. then I can see your network of friends right. and I can send them an a invite to say let's, let's connect yeah. so I would then generate a certificate and send to them mm-hmm. it's client based so the first thing it doesn't do well is it doesn't operate because it's client based and it's server based once we've made all these connections if I go to a different machine I've got mm. to make all those connections again Right, because it's linked to the hardware of the machine. It's linked to the hardware of the machine. It's actually stored in the folder system. That's that's where it's at. Mm. So I can't just go to another machine and log in as me Mm. and have all my connections there. Mm. Now I can if I put those shares down on a network drive. Mm. But now I've got to be providing myself a network drive. Yeah. And so RetroShare has that ability to say, well, it works really well for the individual communications, but Mm. it doesn't. It's not very portable, although there is a portable version. Yeah. So I could run it on a USB key, plug a USB key in, and run mm. up RetroShare on whichever machine I'm on. Okay. And that would do it. So that then lets us communicate. So what, what is the benefit in doing that? Well, first of all, we can have 
a chat conversation that I can bring you and myself and anyone else I've invited can mm -hmm. join that conversation. Mm -hmm. And that conversation is encrypted for all of us. Okay. And it's encrypted in RetroShare for all of us. Yeah. And it's encrypted with our passphrases. So my passphrase won't open any conversations on your machine. Mm. It's only the ones that are on my machine in that, in that encryption. Uh, what I can also do is I can then point RetroShare a number of files on my directory, my, my machine. And these might be files that's my music, my videos, mm. stuff I want to share. You're able to see them, mm. and you can copy them anytime you like. Mm. Now, we're back to something that peer-to-peer -peer did very well, but then pointed out where the weaknesses was that BitTorrent fixed. Mm. If I have a file that I'm sharing with you, and you copy that file, and say it's the latest Ubuntu server mm. distro, you have to use 100% of that connection with me mm. to copy that file over or as much as it can get if I go away you're interrupting the file services copy if several people want to copy that file from me yeah and those several people are not for, are, even if they're friends with you mm. their retro share won't get a copy from you and a copy from me and bring them down at the same time right they'll both come to my connection because it's peer to peer yeah so for copying files, it's slower because the bit the way a BitTorrent works is it says there are 100 people downloading this file. Mm -hmm. So uh, there might in this 100 people be 40 people who are 60% downloaded already. Mm -hmm. So rather than taking 100% of the file from here, I'll take a couple of percentage of the file from here and a couple of percent from these other people mm -hmm. so that they are uploading a very small amount to me, mm. but I am downloading a very large amount from myself. It seems like a reverse distributed denial of service attack, isn't it? Well, but exactly. That's, what BitTorrent, that's, what BitTorrent, yeah. that's exactly what BitTorrent is. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's enabling you to have a file share mm. that says the more people who start sharing the file, the faster it is to share that file. Okay. Up oh, I to see. the maximum yes. bandwidth of yeah. everybody's upload yeah. against your single download. Cool. And that's what BitTorrent does. But yeah. So RetroShare, I, I invited a lot of people in because I really wanted to see what it could do. Mm. I think RetroShare is what we want to see, but we need to see it on a mobile environment, mm. and we need to see it with a cloud-based data store so that we can have our shares, our keys, and our registrations connected in such a way that we can go back to them from any machine. Mm. And that cloud-based data store would, would only be keeping an encrypted content of those shares. It would be its own key server in its own right. Right. And you could have a copy on your own machine, and you could invite other people to create their own key stores that would share them out. Right. And that would be the way to get around the problem of me creating a new copy of RetroShare. I then want to log in, so what it would do is it would take me to the cloud-based key store, and it would say, what's the email address and the passphrase that you're right. logging in with? Yeah. And then let you log in. It needs to do that. Because so I haven't received a message from you yet. You haven't. So I, was, I was trying to work out how it works. Yeah, I mean, I sort of managed to get it working. I think Passing Phrase and I got mm. it working. Um, and I'm now sharing this with Ian Pearson. Um, and, you know, I've sent it out to quite a few of my friends. Yeah. Very few people have actually responded. I, I think, however, this is the way it's got to go. Because looking at IPv6, if we get things like RetroShare working, but it's actually going over an IP network... <laughs> the IP network of yourself for your friends and you're sharing it within that environment then it's, it's not you can't overhear that conversation unless you've got an invite to that network right okay we better move on because we're 31 minutes Nick just very wow. quickly what is we've taken a lot of the episode with RetroShare but what's this um, 12 for 12 12 for 12 what's this 12 for 12 all about org Clive Walker 
pointed this out to me. I know we talked about it before, but, but it's basically every month learn one new technical skill and write about it. We've talked about this before, haven't we? And we have. Yeah. Now, I spent the first month on GitHub. Yeah. Uh, and I got a huge amount of benefit out of that. Mm-hmm. Then I spent the second month um, focusing on crumbs. I can't actually remember what I focused on. I know I'm doing phone gap. <laughs> it must be very uh, significant. No, it was, it, was, it was Node.js. That's what I look at. Node.js? Node.js. What, a plugin for browser, is it? The, no, well, Node.js, which is like a server architecture. It's basically JavaScript running in an yeah. engine. Okay. So all the power of what you can do in a document that's an event-driven model yeah. in the browser... Because you know if you write in Ruby or you write in PHP, you can't create an event-driven model. You can't say when this object changes. Oh yes, yeah, like an event something loop. Something happens. Yeah. Event loop. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. can with Node.js. Right. Yes. Which means that you can start writing as if you're writing a document back at the server. Okay. And that's very powerful. Mm. But it's also easy to think this is the tool for everything when in mm. fact it's a great tool for doing things where you want non-blocking operations like mm. big file uploads. Right. Or socket I/O connections. But I'll, I'll come back to that another time. So. I'm looking at PhoneGap. I haven't had a chance to start on PhoneGap, but PhoneGap is a plugin which lets me develop for Android and iPhone and Windows Phone with the same HTML5 code. Yeah, I've seen this. Yes, yeah, because um, we looked concept, at this. And the concept there is that once you've done it once, mm. you can port it to all the platforms. Yeah, yeah. How, how much have you looked into it? Because I'm not... I've, I've only I've just only really it. on the on the Hello World side of it. Okay, because, right. See, I have GitHub and I have Node.js. Yeah. So now I've got two things to put together with... Yeah. Phone gap to start building. Have you looked at Centra JS? Centra. I haven't, but it might be something. Uh, Centra is like a, a JS sort of framework for for mobile apps. And then what basically. I'm going to have a look at next is MQTT and messaging. Yeah. And yeah. then build out from there. Cool. So. It's, Alrighty. It's, but have a look at twelve for twelve. It's not, it, it might feel a bit late to start now, but I, I'd like to think that we could all sort of spend you know, twelve months in a year, learn twelve new things. Well, we could do ten for twelve. Ten for twelve. You could have a you could you could have a quarter rush. You, you could, could spend do, yes. you could you could actually spend three months learning something. Yes, yeah, a four for twelve. This is it. This is it. But there we go. Well, it's been a very quick half hour. I'm it's quite laid back actually. Your well, stretching. The, the nature of you being able to sit in a sofa for a change. I think it probably is actually. And, and us well, better go. Music. But there we are. Yes, so, so uh, uh, as a reminder to everybody, obviously come to socialmediawhitenoise.com/slash/donate. Yes. Click on that donate button. Your donations are greatly received, appreciated, converted into coffee and cake, and then consumed. And um, goodbye for me, Dr. Pod. If you want to sponsor me, I'm running the uh, the Brighton Marathon. If you want to sponsor me, just hop along to um, uh, justgiving.com slash drpod, and you can donate there. And I am a... Uh, not running any marathons but I'll certainly wish you luck in that and mm. if you'd like to tweet me at loudmouthman or you can visit my website loudmouthman.com and thank you again for listening to Social Media White Noise see you soon folks bye thanks for listening to Social Media White Noise brought to you by Andy White Aka Dr Pod and Nick Butler Aka Loudmouthman Please visit www.socialmediawhitenoise.com where you can leave comments, listen to the show straight from the webpage, and subscribe for free. Email us at ulot at socialmediawhitenoise.com. Follow us on Twitter, Dr. Pod and Loudmouthman. We'd like to thank the coffee shops of Sussex, social media and technology, without whom this show would not be possible. See you soon. Peace.